All right, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Michael, am I on? I am, right? Okay, super. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at two verses this morning, verses 12 and 13. While you're turning there, let me just say once again, and I know I've said this often, but I don't think I can say it too much. I really appreciate the music around Freedom Baptist Church. I do. I just do. Uh, that, uh, that song that the choir sang this morning uh, was one of the first choir songs I ever learned in a youth choir at First Bible Baptist Church over in, uh, in uh, uh, sure, I was born there, Rochester, uh, Rochester, New York. And uh, uh, Jim Modlish was the one who, who led that song. I haven't heard that song in quite a while. And that's a good song. That's just a good song. And then your singing has been a blessing to me this morning. Uh, when, you, when, when the singing is off here, and, and, you know, we're just like everybody else. You know, we, we are prone to that. Uh, when, when our singing is off, it, it affects things. It just does. It wasn't off this morning. You were spot on this morning. And I, I appreciate that very much. Uh, okay, where are we at here? We're at uh, Philippians chapter 2. If your neighbor doesn't have a Bible, let them look on with you, if you would, please. Let's all stand together in uh, reverence to the Word of God and in honor to it. Philippians chapter 2, two verses, verses 12 and 13. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, for the, for the freedom that we have to be able to, to worship and to hold services like this. We thank you, Lord, for each one that's here and we ask God that the Spirit of God this morning would meet with us in a very special way. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts through your word. Uh, Lord, I am just a human instrument. That's all I am. And I can do in and of myself nothing divine. But, Lord, you can. And you can minister in a way that no human being can. You can take the words of God, and apply them to hearts. And we ask you to do that this morning. Lord, uh, visit us this morning in power. Visit us in understanding. Visit us, Lord, in clarity. And uh, I pray, Father, that you would lead, guide, and direct in this message. May you have your will and your way in each and every one of our hearts. As you speak to us this morning, may we respond favorably to you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. You may be seated. You know, I, I, uh, I, I believe the Apostle Paul was being very, very complimentary and, and, and also very true when he opened uh, verse 12 with, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed. That's, that's quite a statement to make. He's talking to a congregation. He's saying, listen, you have a... You have a uh, uh, you have a characteristic. You have something that, 
that uh, is identifiable by, by you, and that is that you are obedient to what the Lord would, would have you to do. And he says they, that they've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, in other words, not just when I'm around, uh, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, he said that he's, he's telling the congregation that they've really been obedient, that they have been attentive to the words of God. And it, boy, if there's anything that as a church we want to have a reputation for doing, as a family you ought to have a reputation for doing, as an individual you ought to have a reputation of being obedient, uh, of just when, when you hear something, you don't just listen to it, but you take it to heart and you do something with it. And that's exactly what, uh, what he was saying to the church at Philippi. This church was a, a church that was very much upon the heart of the Apostle Paul. It's a church that, uh, that he started, and these folks were very responsive to God and to his word. Notice that at the end of the verse, he said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He didn't say work for it. Uh, there's a lot of people that, that I have heard over the years that have said, see right there, it tells you that salvation is by works because it says work out your own salvation. It doesn't say work for your own salvation. Your salvation is, is uh, given to you because of, of the purchase that Jesus Christ made with his own blood on the cross at Calvary, it has nothing to do with what you have done, but it has everything to do with what he has done for you when he died on the cross and totally paid for your sin. Listen, my sins are paid for this morning not because I paid a cent. I did a thing. I didn't do anything. All I did was simply receive the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. But once you receive that salvation in Christ, the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if you, if you look at those two verses, verses 12 and 13, they almost look, they almost look like a contradiction. Um, you know, one extreme says, uh, if, you, if you don't do it, if you don't work uh, at being holy, if you're, not, if you're not doing the work yourself, it won't get done. And then on the, other, on the other hand, the other side says, well, let go and let God. I don't believe either extreme is, is appropriate. Uh, there are responsibilities on both sides when it comes to living a Christian life. And, and having a life that's pleasing unto God. Obviously, the, these Philippian Christians were pleasing unto God. Uh, obviously, they had properly responded to the word of God and had properly responded in obedience to things that they had heard. And he, he talks about the fact that there, are, there is a balance in the thing. And I believe the balance comes and, and you, you have an understanding when you know what is, what is God's responsibility in this deal of salvation and, what it, and living for, for him? And what is my responsibility uh, when it comes to living for him? And, and, and first of all, in verse 12, let's take a look at the responsibility that, that God says that we have. It says in verse 12, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, 
work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, the name of this message is work it out. Uh, I, you know, you've heard, you've heard people use that, that term before when they're uh, facing a dilemma and uh, someone says, well, listen, just work it out. Would you just work it out? Well, I believe that comes from scripture where it says work out your own salvation and do so with, with fear and trembling. Uh, notice, though, that he starts out the verse with a wherefore. And whenever there's a wherefore, uh, whenever there's a wherefore or a therefore, you want to see what the wherefore or therefore or therefore. And uh, you, want to, you want to look backwards and see what he's referring to. And what he's referring to is what he talked about in verses, verses 1 through 11, uh, particularly uh, dealing with Christ and the, uh, the example that he set for us. If you look with me in verses 5 through 8, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. What, what the Lord is saying here is that uh, it's not enough just to do right. You've got to have the right mind. You've got to have the right mindset. You've got to have the right attitude when you go into it. And there's, there's four essential attitudes that are mentioned here that Jesus Christ had. And these are the attitudes that we need to have. Because Christ had that attitude, these attitudes, we need to have those attitudes uh, when we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And the first thing that he speaks about is he says that he came and he, and he had no reputation. Now, obviously, he did have a reputation. He does have a reputation. We're talking about the King of Kings. We're talking about the, the Lord of Lords. We're talking about the God of the universe. We're talking about the one who, who spoke the worlds into existence. Uh, he, uh, uh, he has all power. He has a reputation. His reputation precedes him. But he made himself of no reputation. In other words, he didn't come down as a king the first time. He came down and, and, and put himself into a, into a very uh, poor family. Uh, he, he was not a man of opulence at all. Uh, he, he did not have, uh, in fact, the, the Bible says he had no form or comeliness, according to the book of Isaiah, no form or comeliness that we should desire him. And there was nothing striking about the way he looked outwardly even. He just had no, no reputation. And that, that's the kind of attitude we ought to have. Oh, regardless of what you have accomplished in life, uh, understand that, that God wants you to come with no reputation. In other words, you shouldn't have any expectations. You shouldn't uh, expect people to respect you. Uh, you, sh you should not have, have expectations from man. You ought to come with no reputation. And then the second thing, he said, he took upon himself the form of a servant. He had a servant's heart. He did not come to see what he could get. He came to see what he could give. Obviously, he gave us the greatest gift that we could ever receive in, in all of eternity, and that's eternal life. He, he purchased, according to... According to uh, uh, Acts chapter 20, he purchased with God's blood 
our salvation on Calvary's cross. And he, made, he paid that price and, he, and he, he took care of that for us because he was looking to see what he could do for us, not what we could do for him. He put others' needs above himself. And, uh, and he did that on a continual basis. That's what his ministry was all about, was having a servant's heart. Uh, the older I get, the more I realize just how important that, that attitude is in the Christian life, is to come uh, with a servant's heart. It's not what, what, what's in it for me. It's not uh, what, what others can do for me. It's what I can do for others every time. Every time I have seen a person's attitude switch that way, where it's not what I can do for others, it's what others could do for me, have not done for me, I'm upset about it, I don't care for it, I'm, I'm, I, 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 uh, I believe I've been shorted. Boy, when you, when you have that kind of a spirit, that is not a servant's heart. That is a jealous heart, an envious heart, that's a heart that's in it for what it can get, not in it for what you can give. And what God expects from us is what, what he did himself. I mean, you look at what, what, the way he was treated when he was on this earth. You know why he did that? He did that for you. He did that for me. Uh, he didn't care what other people thought about him. He had, he had one thing in mind. He set his face like a flint to the cross. And he was going to pay for the sins of the entire world with his shed blood. And, and he did so because he had a servant's heart. The third thing is, is he had a humble heart. And I don't know about you, but that, that one, I mean, they all, they all not only impress me, but just really flabbergast me at times. I can't really wrap around it, but this one I really have a hard time wrapping around is the fact that God humbled himself. Humbled. We're talking about the God of the universe. He didn't just become a servant. He became humble. He lowered himself. And, and uh, you know, he, he, be, he became flesh, the Bible says, and dwelt among us. Oh, what a, what a, what, what a commentary. Uh, and he did that so that he could be a blessing. By the way, if you're going to be a blessing to others, if you're going to, if you're going to have a servant spirit, uh, the only way you can do that is to also have a humble spirit. You've got to be humble before God. And then the last thing was that he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He had a, a submissive spirit. Uh, when the, when, when, uh, some like the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and others get a hold of that, that, that concept, that verse. They, they, they look at that thing and they say, well, you see, therefore, uh, Jesus was a lesser God. He was a created God by God the Father uh, because he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. No, he became flesh, and because he became flesh and took on human form... He was obedient to the Father. Keep your finger here and go with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, look with me down in verse 16. 
1 Timothy 3.16, you say, I don't understand it. I don't understand it either. <laughs> it's called the Trinity, okay? It's not something that you're going to be able to wrap your human mind around because the closest thing that we've got on this earth to, to the Trinity is us because we were made in the image of God. You are spirit, soul, and body. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In, in verse 16, it says in with, with uh, 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. What does God call it? A mystery. You're not going to be able to figure it all out, okay? And what that means is God's smarter than you are, amen? And aren't you glad he is? But it says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, uh, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in the glory. And so God tells us it's going to be a mystery to you. You're going to have a hard time wrapping your mind around it. But, but he had a submissive spirit. In order for us to fulfill our responsibility to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, we have to have the same kind of attitude that Jesus Christ came into this world with. He came in with no reputation, with a servant's spirit, with a humble spirit, and with a submissive heart and a submissive spirit. And then you go back to, to verse 12 of Philippians 2. And it says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He says, ye have always obeyed. Obedience should never depend upon other people. Obedience should never depend upon who's looking and who isn't. Uh, obedience ought to depend on one thing and one person. And that's Jesus Christ. In other words, our motivation ought to be Christ, not another Christian, not somebody in our family, not what our church would think about it. But what would God think about what you're doing with your Christian life? And it, it should make no difference who knows what you're doing or who is present at the time. And that was the kind of attitude that the Philippians had. They said, listen, we just, we're do, doing this because we just want to be obedient. We just want to please God. And then after he, he gives them that compliment and that observation where he says, you have always obeyed, then he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, with that in mind, keep your finger here in Scripture and back up just a little bit to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians is a book just before Philippians, Ephesians chapter 2. And we see, that we, we see the same order of things in Philippians chapter 2. If you look with me in verse 8, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That, that, that passage, those two verses mean a, a ton to me. Because those were the two verses, particularly that, not of works lest any man should boast. I was taught my entire life 
up until I was 17 years old and came in contact with the gospel preacher, uh, I, I was told my entire life that salvation was in my hands, had to do with my life, had to do with my works, had to do with whether or not I, I, I uh, was obedient, whether I, I, I kept the law, uh, all of those things. If I was a good person, I'd make it. If I was not a good person, I wouldn't. And I, I found this verse. I found this verse because someone gave it to me when he was witnessing to me. And, and uh, I was trying to make the case for, well, what about, uh, you know, a, a murderer could go in, but a person who never murdered uh, would, would escape. Is that how the thing would work? And, and the whole point that he made was it has nothing to do with what you've done, but it has everything to do with whether or not you have trusted and believed in what Christ has done. And, and what, that whole, what that whole thing did was it shifted the focus. The focus wasn't on me and my works. The focus is on Jesus Christ and, and his works when he, when he uh, paid the price, the full price for my sin on Calvary's cross, was buried and then rose again the third day. Uh, that's where the emphasis is supposed to be, not on me. It's not of works, and he tells, tells us why, lest any man should boast. And so those verses mean an awful lot to me because that, that convinced me, that showed me, that I couldn't do anything for my salvation. And by the way, you can't either. The Bible says we're all sinners. The Bible says that we all deserve to die and go to hell for all eternity because of our sin. There's no exceptions, okay? There's no exceptions in this room. There's no exceptions outside of this building. Uh, the truth of the matter is we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And because of that, we, we deserve hell for all eternity. And yet Jesus Christ came and gave his life for us. He shed his precious blood, sinless blood. Why? Because he was God in the flesh. He never, not only committed an act of sin, he never even thought about an act of sin because he was God in the flesh. And, and he shed his blood and paid the price. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And our sins were paid for. Our sins can be remitted because of Christ's blood on Calvary's cross. But if you look with me uh, and continue in... in uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, he says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And he says, when it comes to salvation, there's no works involved. But then he goes to verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. In other words, once you get saved, you are created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So we are to work. We are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling uh, be, because of the work that God has done in us. What, what God's saying here is, is simple. He's saying, I worked it in, you work it out. <laughs> you work it out. Uh, he says, I, I, I gave you the gift of eternal life. I did a work in your heart. 
He says, he says uh, I, I now have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And he said, and said now, now it's your responsibility to, to take that which I have given to you and work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's, it's your responsibility and my responsibility to work out what God's worked in. What's inside affects the outside. I, I have heard... And I, in fact, I even said it the night I was witness to. Uh, I, you know, I, I made the comment. I said, well, then what you're saying is you could go ahead and get saved. You could go out, out and shoot somebody and still go to heaven. Well, the, the, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, if you trust Christ as Savior, God does something for you on the inside. That doesn't mean you can't, you can't sin anymore. Sure, you can still sin. And you still do choose to sin from time to time. But there is something different on the inside. And we're to take what he has worked on the inside and, and work it out. And we ought to do it with the right attitude. And the attitude that he tells us about in Philippians 2.12 is fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Um, if, if you look back at verses 9 through 11, again, in, in, the same, in the same chapter, it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in the earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, that hasn't taken place yet, but someday it's going to take place. You know, oftentimes I've heard others make mention of this, and, and I've thought about this uh, often. There's going to come a time when, when Satan is going to kneel down and say, Jesus Christ is Lord, just before they throw him into the lake of fire for all eternity. Boy, that's going to be a good day. Amen? I'm looking forward to that. But here's the truth of the matter is, not only is he going to do that, but so are you and so am I. There's going to be a day when we are going to give account of ourselves to God. Romans chapter 14 uh, says that every one of us shall give account of ourselves to God. Uh, we need to understand that living for God is a serious thing. It's a serious, it's a serious task. And that's why he says, when you work it out, my responsibility is not just to work it out, but to work it out with the right, with the right spirit, with the right heart attitude. And that's fear and trembling. Why fear and trembling? Well, because it's serious. Because you'll not, you'll not answer to a, you'll not answer to another human being someday. You're going to answer to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Someday we're going to answer to God for the way we lived our lives at, after salvation. The other reason why he says fear and trembling is because if you don't live for God, then you'll fall into sin, and sin has awful effects. Even though a person is saved, a person can still sin, and, and sin still has consequences. Uh, you won't go to hell for your sin after you trust Christ as Savior, but it'll make your life miserable, and it could actually lead to an early death if you're, if you're not careful. The Bible talks about the sin unto to death. The other, the other part of fear and trembling. You know, uh, there is, a, there is a, 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 
you think about the, the kind of fear that developed in your heart and your life when you were brought up in your family. And I've often thought about, about it in, in, in my situation. I was, not say, I was not brought up in a Christian home. I was not brought up in a saved home. But, but my parents were good parents. And uh, I can remember you know, being disobedient to my dad and him disciplining me and punishing me. And particularly when I was younger, I was fearful of the punishment. But then I, I noticed as I got older, the punishment usually you know, changed a little bit. And there were, there were different things that he used as I, as I got older. But it wasn't the, it wasn't the punishment that bothered me so much. I remember one day uh, lying bald face lie to my mother and she caught me in it. And she, she looked at me and she says, you're lying to me. I saw you do what I accused you of and you know you did it and it was right over there. You know what? I really wish she'd hit me in the head with a two by four. It would have been a whole lot more uh, palatable <laughs> than what I had to go through. Uh, just looking at her. She, she continued. <laughs> she said, my mom was good at this. Uh, she, this is my second mom. And she, she said, uh, she said uh, what have your father and I ever done to you to cause you to stand there and bald face lie to me? <laughs> you know, I just want to crawl under, uh, underneath the carpet and just have the world go away. Um, what, what did I hate? I hated the thought of displeasing her. I hate the, hated the thought of dishonoring her and my dad. Uh, as you get older in Christ, that fear is not just fear of punishment and of discipline and of chastening, but it's also a, a fear of just dishonoring God and displeasing him. And then there, there's, there's a, another fear and trembling that comes, comes into play, and that's the fear of how it affects others. And by the way, it always, always does. There's no such thing as, as uh, actions that only affect you. Eventually, it affects others, and it affects others uh, in, a, in a very detrimental way. I, I've seen it over the years. I, I watch people that uh, were living for God, were on fire for God, who were, who were doing what God wanted them to do, and then they made a decision somewhere down the line because they got hurt, because they got burned, because they got bruised, because they got bitter, whatever it might be, uh, and they, they, they did a turn. Every time a turn like that is made, not only does that individual suffer, but others suffer. I've watched whole families end up being a real mess. I, I hate that when that happens. And, and sometimes it's aimed at me, sometimes it's aimed at others. That's, that's all fine and dandy. That isn't what bothers me. What bothers me is I know what's going to happen in the end. And that puts a fear and trembling in my heart for the way that I act uh, toward others and toward God. And in this whole business of working out your own salvation, with fear and trembling. So that, that's our responsibility. Our responsibility is to work out with fear and trembling what God has worked in. What's God's responsibility? Look with me down in verse 13. It says, For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do 
of his good pleasure. Um, it says that it is God which worketh in you. Uh, when, I, when I read that earlier this week, I, God brought to my mind uh, all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Not only does he work the, the, the uh, uh, work salvation in us, and then we can, we can therefore respond to it properly and work it out, but he works all things in our lives once we get saved together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And God is con constantly and consistently working in our hearts and lives as children of God if you're saved. Uh, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you if, you are, if you've trusted Christ as Savior. According to 1 Corinthians 6, it says our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I was talking to, to Joel and Tina this last week, and he had, he had some, some Christian friends. They, don't, they used to go to his church for a while, and now they're going to another, another, uh, uh, another congregation. And uh, he, they had him over for some fellowship. And, and uh, he had the opportunity. They talked about some things. And one of the things they talked about is the fact that when a person gets saved, that, uh, that the Holy Spirit uh, seals the soul and, and then lives inside. And this fella, he knew that. He, 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 he had heard that doctrine before, and he was a saved man. Uh, and, and, uh, but, but he stopped, and it hit him. It hit him. He says, God lives in me. The Spirit of God is in me. And Joel said, yeah, yeah, he is. And he's the one who gives you the power and gives you the, the, the help to be able to do that which, which he's asked you to do. And it just, it just dawned on him how wonderful and how miraculous it was that God chose to live in him. Well, if you're saved, you have the spirit of God inside of your body. And, uh, you know, what's he working on? Well, According to Romans 8.29, it says he's working to, to make us conformed to the image of his dear son. And he's, he's working on us continually to conform us to the image of Christ. Uh, what has God, when he's worked that salvation in you, what has he equipped you with? Well, look at verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. There's two things that God gave you when you got saved. He gave you a to will and he gave you a to do. <laughs> he gave you a to will and he gave you a to do. Uh, what, you say, what do you mean? He gave, you, he gave me a to will. In other words, he put the will and the desires to want to serve God in you. You didn't have that before. But once you get saved, because you have the Spirit of God inside of you, He gives us the will and He gives us the desire to do right. Now, according to, and we looked at this in, in, uh, uh, in Sunday school this morning, 
there's, there's two desires in, inside of us, and they are contrary one to another. One is the flesh, and one is the spirit. And it says the spirit lusteth against the flesh, and the flesh lusteth against the spirit, because they are contrary one to the other. Uh, you know, uh, the, the question was asked of a missionary. Uh, it's like two dogs, or, or a, a missionary asked a, a native uh, who had gotten saved. And, and the, the native said, well, you know what it's like? It's like there's two dogs inside of me, and uh, they're fighting all the time. And he said, well, which one wins? And he says, well, it's the one I feed the most. Boy, there's a lot of truth to that. A lot of truth to that. Uh, that's exactly how it works. You feed the spirit, and that, that will to do will get stronger and stronger and stronger. Uh, this, the, this desire that, uh, and this will that's inside of us shows up in two forms. It shows up in a, in a discontent and a disgust with sin and a desire for purity and a desire to do right and to please God. In other words, if God plants in us that desire, then we don't really have any excuse for not serving God. You know, we can use all kinds of excuses. Well, you know, I, I had a bad experience. I was burned. Uh, I, this happened. That happened. Uh, you know, I, I don't have this ability and I don't have that ability. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can list them all down the line. But here's the truth of the matter. God has given you the will if you're saved. He's given you the desire if you're saved to do right. You have it. What are you doing with it? Are you feeding it? And are you responding to it? And then secondly is the to do. Not only the to will, but also the to do. Well, what's the to do? That's the power. That's the ability to be able to get the job done. Listen, God never asks us to do something that he doesn't also give us the strength, the power, and the desire to do. He never does. If he asks us to do something, he's going to give us the ability to do it. You know, the Bible says uh, that Jesus gave the command, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Someone says, well, uh, yeah, but, but I'm shy. Doesn't make any difference. Doesn't make any difference. He's given you the power. He's given you the desire. So you can still get the job done whether you're shy or not. Makes no difference. Because it's not you that's doing it, but God has a responsibility in the matter. And his responsibility is to provide the will and to provide the power to be able to get the job done. He gives us the power to do right. Uh, you can't do what God wants you to do in your own strength. You know, I, I, I heard a, uh, in fact, I think I read it in a book here uh, some time ago. Uh, someone made the comment, said the, the Christian life is not difficult. He said the Christian life is absolutely, completely, totally impossible. <laughs> That's real encouragement, isn't it? Uh, he said the Christian life is impossible. Uh, why? Because you can't do it on your own. You can only do it in the strength and the power of God. And, and then when you, do, when you do it in his strength and you do it in his power, it's, it's attainable. It can, it can be done. Uh, but you can't do what God has, is, is, expects us to do without his strength and without his power. And he gives us that strength and power. What is it that he has given us the strength and the power and the desire to do? He's given us the strength, power, and desire to do what pleases him. 
That's, that's the whole reason why we're here. We're here to honor God. We're here to please God. The reason why God didn't take you home after you got saved is because he's got something for you to do. He's got something for all of us to do. Now, none of our, none of our jobs are identical. They're, they're, they're different, but he's got some things that he wants you to do and accomplish. That's why he's given you a to-do. That's why he's given you a to-will. And he expects us with those two, two things to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, we please God by, by following the desires that he gives us and working out what he worked in and, and doing it, not in our own strength and not in our own power, but in his strength and power. Um, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and you don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9, Apostle Paul was talking to the church at Corinth, and he told them this. He says, for we are laborers together with God. Boy, what a, what a union that is, huh? What a, what a, what a workforce that is. He says, he says, we are laborers together with God. God does not say, listen, I want you to do something for me and you're on your own. Take, you know, good luck. I hope you make it. Uh, no, that's not his attitude at all. He gives us the desire. He gives us the will. And then he gives us the power in order to get the job done. And he works together with us. Take your Bibles and turn with me over to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Look in verses 28 through 30 with me, if you would. Jesus is speaking and he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, a yoke is something that was used with animals where they put two animals of the same kind, usually it was oxen, and they put one oxen on the right side of the yoke and they put another oxen on the, on the left side of the yoke. And a yoke was for one purpose, and that was to work, to get something accomplished, to get something done. And, and he says, take my yoke upon you. In other words, let's go to work together and learn of me. You know, you don't learn about Christ by just reading the Bible. You learn about Christ by reading the Bible and then getting to work and doing and working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, I've, 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 I've not only heard it, I have said it from time to time. You know, depending upon what kind of a situation you're in, you, know, you might say, whoa, I'll tell you what, Christian life can be really, really hard, can be really, really tough. Well, you know what? Jesus said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I've often wondered if the reason why I think it's tough and the reason why I think it's hard and the reason why I think it's difficult is because, first of all, I'm trying to do it alone. And second of all, I'm trying to do it in my own strength and my own power. And you know what? I can't do that. It's not going to work. 
But Jesus said that he'd never leave us. He said he'd never forsake us, never forsake us. And that whenever we had a work to do, that he'd get in the yoke with us and we'd be able to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Go back with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. And let's, let's look again at verses 12 and 13. It says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Uh, you know, the, 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 the truth of the matter is you can't, you can't live verse 13 without verse 12. And you can't live verse 12 without verse 13. Those, those two must go hand in hand. Who's doing the work? Well, we're to work out our own salvation, but it is God which worketh in you. What that means is we're partners together. We're partners together. How's your attitude this morning? Do you have the, the, the kind of submissive and humble attitude that the Lord Jesus Christ had? Are you looking to be a servant? Are you looking to, to, to fill other people's needs rather than being expectant of others filling your needs? And then are you, are you, are, do you have the attitude of fear and trembling? Are you working out what God has worked in? And then are you trusting, trusting God for the, the, the will and the power and the ability to get the job done? Um, God has something for all of us. We need to do our responsibility. And every time we do, God always fulfills his end. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heads bowed and eyes, eyes closed. Just before we give the invitation, before we have a word of prayer, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever trusted Christ as Savior? Are you absolutely positive this morning that if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven to be with the Lord Jesus Christ? Has there been a time in your life and you can look back when you realize you're a sinner, realize you're on your way to hell, way you could have your sins forgiven is by trusting Jesus Christ and him alone as your personal savior. Trust in what he did instead of what you could do. And you had a repentant attitude about your sin and you believed on Christ and you trusted him and him alone as your savior. If you know that for sure, if you're absolutely positive, if you're to die today that you go to heaven, because of what he has done for you. I wonder with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just raise your hand as a testimony to that fact, say, Pastor, here's my hand. I know for sure I'm saved because I've trusted Christ as Savior. All right, thank you. You can put your hands down. How many of you be just as honest and, and, and raise your hand and say, I don't know that for sure, and I'm concerned about it. Here's my hand, Pastor. Would you please pray for me? I count it a real privilege to be able to pray for you. Is so anyone like that? You're struggling with it. Maybe you don't know that for sure. Maybe you're unsure. But you'd like to know for sure. Just by an uplifted hand, you'd say, here's my hand, preacher. Pray for me. All right, you're here this morning and, and you are saved. Are you working out what God has worked in? Father, I pray that you would work on our hearts this, this morning. And God, where we're where we're deficient, 
where we have made excuses, where we have bucked you on some things because we have not properly worked out what you've worked in. I pray that you work on our hearts this morning and help us to see that, Lord, uh, we have a responsibility once we get saved. We are your workmanship created unto good works by the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, I pray, Father, that we'd also see your responsibility. You have given us a will. You've given us a desire. You've given us power. You've given us everything we need in order to be able to serve you. God, please work in this invitation. If there's anyone here this morning without Christ as Savior, they're not, they're not absolutely positive. Maybe they even have some doubts this morning. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. They come forward, take my hand, say, Preacher, I need to be saved. We'll have somebody take the word of God and show them how they can get that thing settled for all eternity. Lord, work in hearts of saved people this morning. Help us, Lord, to see our responsibility before you and that one day we'll, we'll give an account to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. Bless this invitation. Have your will and your way in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Let's stand, if you would, with your heads bowed.